I want you to begin with me tonight, uh, not by going to the Gospel of John, but by turning back in the book of Genesis. In a moment, I want to show you a couple of verses in Genesis that will get us where we are going. I want to talk to you tonight about God always takes the initiative. And if you have your bulletin, I don't have blanks to fill in on purpose, but I mentioned this morning I should have added that word always to the title of my message tonight. The bulletin says God takes initiative. That's a true statement. But God always takes the initiative. And that is very, very important. I would have preached it in my sermon, yea, though I don't have it in my printed title. Now, you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that God always takes initiative. If you just go back to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and as you're reading through the Bible, every situation you see God every time taking the initiative. In other words, he takes the first step. And let's just go back to the first man and the first woman. Look with me in Genesis chapter 3. Of course, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man has taken place. Adam and Eve have disobeyed what God said do. Now, in verse number 8, look with me. The Bible says, And they heard, they being Adam and Eve, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So with the very first man and the very first woman, God took the initiative. And that is true all the way through the Bible. It was true this morning when you and I got up. It will be true when we go to bed tonight. It will be true when we get up in the morning. God in every realm always takes the first step. And the next step is our step. John ended his message this morning by saying, we have to do something. Well, that's what I'm picking up on here this night. Now, turn with me, if you will, over in the book of Isaiah. I want to show you a verse perhaps you've seen, perhaps you've not seen. But turn in Isaiah chapter 65, if you will. I want to show you an example of how God takes the initiative in prayer. We are talk much about prayer. We all pray, some more, some less. All of us, I'm sure, need to pray more. Prayer, where we have communication with God. Prayer is a dialogue between mankind and God, and God and mankind. But I want to show you a verse. It's very, very interesting. I never had paid attention to this verse until some years ago at the Cove, Dr. Lord John Ogilvie, who has impacted my life and John's life and Dottie's life in remarkable ways, not only in his personal dealings with us, but in seminars he's led, in private meetings we've had, and then in the many, many good books he's written. One of those books, I doubt we have it in our library, but we'll get it. I'll ask Amanda if she'd order this book. There may be some. But I think perhaps his classic book, he has many books. He's kind of like Kindle. You know, Kindle, Kindle has like 60-something, 70 books. Well, Kindle's classic book is Total Forgiveness, no question about that. But he has many, many, many other great, great books. Well, Lord John Ogilvie, to me, his classic books is Conversations with God. 
it is a magnificent book. It's one of those books that you're going to, after you've read it, you're going to put it on the shelf. But from time to time, you're going to go pull it back off the shelf. Not necessarily read the whole book again. You want to go back and kind of refresh your mind on this, refresh your mind on that. But in that book, and we heard him tell the story as he was preaching in a seminar at the Cove, he shared how a friend in his young life showed him this verse and how it revolutionized his prayer life. And it's Isaiah chapter 65, and it's verse number 24. Look in your Bible with me. The Bible says, it shall come to pass that before they call, God says, I will answer. In other words, what that verse is saying, prayer starts with God. Now, we never think of it that way, but here's how it works, and here's what this verse is teaching. For example, we have this idea that when we pray, we're trying to get God's attention. Well, no, before we ever try to get God's attention, we need to understand he's already seeking to get our attention. And you say, well, how, how does he do that? Well, when you have the thought, I need to pray about something, where do you think that thought comes from? Well, it doesn't come from our flesh. When we think, you know, I need to pray about that, or I need to pray more about that. Well, we think that because the Spirit of God has spoken to our spirit. See, God begins the conversation. We think we pray, we begin the conversation with God. Well, when we begin the conversation with God, we begin the conversation with God because God's already begun the conversation with us. And that's what this verse is saying. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. God always takes the first step. So back in Genesis, we find that to be true in the garden. Here is an illustration in prayer, how God always takes the initiative. Now, tonight we're going to talk about a miracle. And in miracles, God always takes the initiative. He always does. He always takes the first step. Now, let me just give you a working definition of a miracle. You might jot it down in your bulletin where it says notes. It's not the only, but it will be what we will use for tonight. Very simply, a miracle is simply evidence of the supernatural. In other words, something happens, and there's no way other than supernaturally to explain how this thing happened. Now, that is the idea of a miracle, and we're going to look at one of these tonight. Now, turn with me in your Bible, if you will, before we get to the Gospel of John, turn over in the book of Acts in chapter number 2. I wanted to show you something. I'll have to move along. I can't dwell upon it. It's very, very insightful, very, very helpful. There are three words in the New Testament to describe what you and I call as a miracle. Now, what do we call as a miracle? Something that requires a supernatural explanation. Humanly, there's no way to explain it. That would be the idea of a miracle. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are three words used in our English Bible that describe miracles. And we see all three of these words in Acts chapter 2 in verse number 22. Acts chapter 2, verse number 22. And the background here is that Peter, of course, has preached and what he is now doing in what he has said, he's been describing 
uh, all the wonderful things about Pentecost and about what has happened in the marvelous ministry of Jesus. And in verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. Now watch carefully by miracles, wonders, and signs. Underline those three words. I'm reading from the New King James. In a moment, I'm going to comment on translations, but let me just stay where I am at this moment. Miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him, that is Jesus, in your midst as you yourself also know. They'd seen these miracles, these things that required supernatural explanation. Now, you have this word in the New King James translated miracles, the word wonders, and the word signs. Now, the word miracles comes from the Greek word dunamis, whereas we get our word dynamite. This is where it comes from. And it's talking about mighty powers. Now, in a moment, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 9. Now, in John, the Apostle John never uses the word that we would call miracles coming from the word dunamis. It's nowhere found in the Greek text in the entire book of the Gospel of John. Now, if you have a, an old King James, you're going to say, oh, yes, it is. Here it is. Well, let me say quickly a word and not lose preaching time seriously. Number one, I am thankful to God for all the different translations we have. Like some of you have one translation, some of you have another translation, some of you have another translation. You know, whatever you can understand, if it's a valid translation, that's a good translation. Having said that, it's quite a challenge for the preacher because even tonight, those who have the old King James, they're going to turn back in the Gospel of John chapter 2, verse 11 and find the word miracles. But I'm just saying to you, that's a mistranslation. It's, it, it, it's, it's not that word. It's the word Simeon. I'll mention it a moment. It, it's, it's okay. It all is talking about the same thing. But I think we, at least we need to know. Now, the second word is this word wonders that we see in verse number 22. And, and, and that word is only used by the Apostle John one time in the entire Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 48. And it literally means wonders. Just what we have here is taras. The, the Greek word. And then the big word, the word that John uses all the way through the gospel of John, you'll never find him using the word miracle. Now you may have a translation that says that that's okay. It, it's talking about, but the word is signs, S-I-G-N-S. And I'm not monkeying around with Greek words. You could care less about Greek words, but we do want to know what the word of God says. Could I have an amen to that? And, and this is very, very important. In fact, 15 times in the Gospel of John, we find the English word signs, S-I-G-N-S. And it comes from the Greek word simeon, simeon, signs. And you say, well, what's the difference between a dunamis and signs? Well, the word dunamis that's translated 15 times in the Gospel of John as signs, it means it is a miracle with a message. It is a miracle that has a lesson tied on to it. Now, you see in your bulletin, and if you're watching by streaming, 
you can go to our church webpage, fbp.org, and go to the little words across the middle of this thing to media and click it and go down and you can get our bulletin outline uh, every Friday afternoon for the coming messages on Sunday. But in the bulletin that we have here, and you can put it up later on the internet, I, I have listed the seven miracles in John's gospel. And I'll not take time to read them. They are there. The scripture reference is there. Now, each time you read about these, each one of these is a sign. In other words, it, it was a miracle. These things really did happen. Jesus actually did turn water into wine. But it was not just so that Jesus could show he could turn water into wine. There is a message with that. Like this, this word Simeon is it, such a good thing. Simeon is, is a sign that points to something greater than itself. Like we, signs, we're familiar with signs. You go down the highway and let's say you're in a strange part of the country and you don't know where anything is and you're hungry and you see a sign that says McDonald's three miles ahead. And you say, well, pastor, I don't eat at McDonald's. Well, if you're hungry, you will. And uh, you go by another mile, and it says McDonald's uh, two miles ahead. And then you go to a little bit farther and sign McDonald's one mile ahead. And you go just a little bit more, it says uh, McDonald's next exit. Now, you've been reading these signs, but when you get to the exit to get off and you go to McDonald's, where you are is greater than the signs that got you there. Now, that's a corny illustration. But uh, it, it illustrates the point. This whole idea of these miracles that took place. Here's the lesson to learn. In each one of these, Jesus took the initiative. Now, if I had time, I'd turn to each one of them and show you how he did that. Bottom line, you go back and check me on it because some were saying, oh, wait a minute. The, the nobleman, he took the initiative. He asked Jesus, no. Before the nobleman did anything, Jesus took the initiative to be here where he was so the nobleman could come there to see him. The fact is, on each one of these, well, turn the water into the wine. He took the initiative to be at the wedding. But there's a lesson greater than the water and the wine, and that is where we are tonight in our scripture. And it is a marvelous, marvelous thing. Now, turn with me in John chapter number nine. It is a long chapter. It is a long chapter, 41 verses, and hold your seatbelt. I'm going to get us out on time. I'm going to preach the whole chapter. Can you believe that? I was three weeks trying to preach two verses back in the earlier chapter. I'm going to deal with the whole chapter tonight because it's all one lesson learned. Now, big picture, take your bulletin and at least write this much down. It will help you. When I'm reading, whether it be a chapter or a book, First thing I want to do is just get a big picture of this whole deal. You know, it, it, then I'll go back and start working the details. Actually, John chapter 9 can be divided in a very simple way. You might want to jot this down. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. What do you have? You have very simply, Jesus gave a man born blind physical sight. And we're going to read some of that in a moment. That's the first 34 verses. Now, in verse 35, through the end of the chapter, through verse 41, Jesus gave the man born blind spiritual sight. And that's what this whole chapter is about. You can read it a hundred times. That is what John chapter 9 is about. Jesus, 
sees this guy born blind. We're going to read it. And he works a miracle. And it's a sign of about what he's going to do. The miracle was great, but something greater was going to happen than that. This man was going to have, in a little bit, spiritual vision, spiritual sight. And let's just look at it and be blessed by it. Look at me in John chapter 9. Let me just read the first seven verses. Now, back up one verse, verse 59 in chapter 8. So I've been three weeks in chapter 8, and I'm back in chapter 8 again. Jesus is talking to this crowd of Jewish people that do not believe he is the Messiah. And we learned that back, uh, and I won't repeat all of that, but we learned that back in a previous sermon. You know, some of these believed in Jesus, and some believed about Jesus. You know, it could be tonight. Here, Sunday night, last Sunday night in July, in a church, there could be people right here tonight that believe about Jesus, but they don't really believe in Jesus. It's a very different thing to believe about Jesus than to believe in Jesus. And this is a situation. This mob of Jewish people, they, 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 they didn't believe he was a Messiah. And they had listened to all this stuff Jesus said, and they became very furious with Jesus. And look in verse 59. They became so furious, the Bible says, then they took up stones to throw at Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty furious. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He's been in the temple teaching this mob. And they didn't like what he had to say. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe he was the Son of God. And they became angry about that so much they said, we'll throw stones and kill him. But look what Jesus did. It says, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. I've often just tried to picture how that be. Here's this mob of Jewish people. They're so mad with Jesus, they want to throw stones at him. And what does he do? Well, he just kind of makes a path right through this mob. His disciples, as we're going to read in a moment, obviously, they followed him, and he just goes out of the temple. Now, we're into chapter 9, verse number 1. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he's taking the initiative. Here he comes. He saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, that's a very interesting thing. Here Jesus, he doesn't say anything. He just looks and he sees a man there blind from birth. The man has never seen the sky, the trees, the anything blind all of his life. Now, the disciples, how like ourselves we see ourselves in them. He, he's about to do something. They're going to talk. His disciples ask him saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they asked Jesus this question. You say, well, that's a crazy question. Not at all for them. Because the Jewish people understand something. They believe two things that, that you and I would not believe. One definitely would not believe. They believe, first of all, in what is called prenatal sins. That is, they believe that a child in a mother's womb before even birth, could sin. And that's why they asked this question. They said, Jesus, when this, when this person was in the womb, even before birth, did he sin? Or is he blind because his parents sinned? 
Well, they believed not only in prenatal sin, they believed in parental sins. They believed, and there'd be scripture for this. Let me give you some verses quickly. We'll not turn to them. You may wish to jot them down. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse 5, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, that would be two verses. Numbers 14, verse 18, uh, and these other Old Testament scriptures that talk about how the sins of the father pass on to the third generation. Well, I can't get off on that sermon, but I'll do it in 60 seconds. If you'd like for me to do it in 60 seconds, or I can just bypass it and go on. Well, your enthusiasm is just overwhelming. John, is this normal for Sunday night? On Sunday morning, the people are right with me all the way. Well, I'm just going to go on. But be that as it may, that's why they asked the question. Now, Jesus didn't exactly answer their question. But look what he has to say. Jesus, well, he did in a way. He said, neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed. Well, he answered in this way. He said, look, this is not the issue at all. This man is born blind so that the works of God might be revealed. And then he says in verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That means while I'm still here on earth because the night is coming when no one can work. He says, there's going to be a time when I will withdraw from here. So I must be doing the Father's business while I'm here on earth because when I'm no longer here on earth, I will not be doing what I would do while I am here on earth. And then Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. Now look at this. So the man went and washed. Now, obviously, they had to help him get there. He still couldn't see. So they helped him to this pool. It would just be implied, but it's a beautiful thing. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. So what's happened here? Well, he's been healed. The man born blind now has physical sight. It's a miracle. There's no way humanly to explain it at all. And that is what is being portrayed here. But God has a bigger plan. In other words, it's a sign. It's a miracle with a message. In other words, God has something bigger even than this. God's bigger plan is that he's going to get Christ into this man's life. And he's going to have spiritual sight. As wonderful as the miracle of Physical healing is and was. What is about to happen is even greater than that. Now, in John chapter 9, remember this about John chapter 9. Jesus performed two miracles. Number one, the miracle of physical sight in verses 6 and 7. But the man remained spiritually blind. He still was not a believer. He didn't even know who this was that had done this. He didn't know him as the Messiah. He called him a man, he called him a prophet, and then he learned who it really was. It was the Son of God. It was the Messiah himself, and Jesus made that very clear. But Jesus took the initiative to give the man physical sight. But then the wonderful thing about that is he took the initiative to give the man spiritual sight. Now, in John chapter 9, look with me, if you will, in verse number 35, because 
What, what is it? This sign, this miracle, it's a miracle with a message. Doesn't matter how your translation, if it says miracle, sign, it makes no difference. It means a miracle with a sign. It means a miracle with a lesson tied to it. Well, what is the lesson? Well, here it comes. And it's big time. Uh, he, he gives this man spiritual sight. You say, well, how do you do it? Well, he took initiative. This is what I want you to leave tonight. Remember, God always takes the initiative. It's been that way since the garden. It's that way now. God takes the first step, and then we have to take a step. That's how it works. When God takes a step, he won't take another step until we take the step we need to take. Now, what does he do? He takes the initiative to give this man spiritual sight. You say, how do you do that? Well, in verse 35, he found him. Look, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. In other words, they had excommunicated the man from the temple. And we read about that if we had time to read the verses before. They became so infuriated with this man that, that he, he implied that, you know, this was, this Jesus is the Messiah. He said, well, we're kicking him out. Now, to you and to me, excommunication of the temple might not seem like a big deal. But listen, that means no one else would employ him to work anywhere. Nobody. He's been excommunicated. His family would disown him. And when a person was excommunicated from the temple in Bible days, anybody that befriended that person, they were dealt with exactly as the person was dealt with that had been excommunicated. <laughs> they were no longer able to come into the temple. No one would give them a job, and the family would excommunicate them. Now, when Jesus heard they had cast him out, that is, excommunicate him, and when he had found him, there it is, taking the initiative. Man didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus found the man. And when he had found him, what did he do? Well, he initiated a conversation. Look what he said. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? What is the point I'm making? God always takes the initiative. Let's say that together. God always takes the initiative. He takes the first step then we must take the next step. And then God will show us what to do. Maybe he will initiate new direction, additional direction, whatever it may be. But then we must take those steps next. But he always impresses us. I listened both sermons this morning and relived in my mind and my heart as John was sharing about the conversation we had at the end of last year. I think he said, uh, the, after Thanksgiving where he brought up the praise in prayer and he just shared his heart with me about that and we had talked about some things before and, and then you know it kind of, he did, I won't repeat all what he said but as I listened to him what, what, and then he shared how when he came back again and said dad I, I really think this is what you know what God's put on my heart and we, we talked about that and we had prayed about that and finally we felt like, well, as he shared this morning, we do believe this is what God has initiated. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take the next step. And we'll just see what God does. That, that to me is the exciting thing. We don't have to prove anything. All we have to do is to be faithful what God says. And I could give you illustration after illustration. We're out here on this land in these buildings because many of us believe that God initiated it. 
And now here we are. <laughs> Only God could have initiated it. All of us put together are not this smart. You know, you know, some that said whatever they said, some of them came back and told me I was the smartest guy in the world. Look, I didn't have anything to do with this. God, God gives vision. And when you know it's the vision of God, all you do is just take the step. How's it going to turn out? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. But he does. That's not our business. Our business is to be faithful to take the next step. So Jesus found the man. He initiated the conversation. And then in verse 37, look how Jesus took the initiative again. He, he, what? he revealed himself to the man. Verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you, here's what the man said. Let's go back in uh, uh, let's go back to verse 36. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said in verse 37, uh, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. So what did Jesus do? He revealed himself to the man. And what did the man do? The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. God always takes the initiative. Boy, we must always remember that. And then it's our turn. And then we take the next step. I, 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 one of the greatest blessings of my life has been some of Bill Gaither's music. And to have had him in that group in our church past two years and supposedly coming back next year as well. But Bill Gaither wrote a song that includes these words, and let me share them with you. Quote, there is a long parade of miracles, and it is led by a wonderful king. I love that little part of that song. There is a long parade of miracles, and it's led by a wonderful king. And as I thought about those words in that song Bill Gaither wrote, I thought, how true that is. And I'm one of them. I hope you're one of them. You know, as seven-and-a-half-year-old little boy, the Spirit of God spoke to my spirit, and I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart and make me a Christian. I gave all of me that I knew to all of God that I knew. But you talk about a miracle. You know, we today say, oh, I just wish we could see some miracles today. Well, let me tell you something. We saw some here today. We saw people saved here today. The greatest miracle of all is when God reveals himself. He takes the initiative and then we take the next step. Now, here's where we need to land. The next step to whatever God is initiating in your life is your step. I don't know what that is. That's what makes it good. What will really be good is when you know what that is. It could be to open up your heart, receive the Lord Jesus, put your trust in him, not just believe about him. It could be to increase your prayer life. It could be to do a multitude of things. But here's the bottom line. God always initiates. And I'm encouraging you tonight. If you feel that God's spirit has put in your spirit that there's something you need to do more or new or different or whatever it is, that's God speaking to you. And you need to take the next step. And that step is to do whatever it is you feel God leading you to do. God, I thank you tonight. I thank you for miracles. I know, God, we think in our day and time that 
You know, we don't have miracles today, but oh, we do. Bill Gaither's right. There's a long parade of miracles. And God, the beautiful thing is to be able to say, yes, there is. And I'm one of them. It's a miracle that as a little boy, you saved my soul. And then, God, I look back on my life as people tonight can look back on their life. Lord, we've all experienced many miracles. God, that you'd call me to be a preacher is a miracle. It really is. I never thought about a thing like that. Nobody my family was a preacher. But that's what you, it's, it's a miracle. What you've done in the life of this church, it's a miracle. I know we can say we did this, we did. No, no. We, we did. But God, you, you took the initiative to show us what to do. And you've guided us along the way. I pray tonight, dear God, in this room, if be some that have never trusted Jesus, I pray tonight they would say, look, I feel like his spirit has revealed to me that that's what I need to do. And tonight I place my faith and trust in him. Others, perhaps tonight, their next step is baptism. Their baptism. God, others tonight, perhaps their next step is to come and put their life in the church. Join the church. But not just join the church, but to get in here with us and grow with us and work with us and worship with us and serve through the life of your church. God, maybe that's what some tonight need to do. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you tonight, you take the initiative and help each one in this room understand all they have to do is take the next step. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.